This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. It's rare that we have a boss who stands behind us and defends us from unfair criticism. When an angry customer or a demanding executive tries to corner us into caving into every one of their demands, it's nice to know that there is a manager in our corner who will keep the unreasonable at bay. Minnie Cox probably felt the same way, too. She was born Minnie Gettings in Mississippi back in 1869 and grew up in Lexington. Her upbringing wasn't common for other black children and families at the time, though. For one, her family owned their own restaurant in town. She also went on to earn a degree at Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee. Fisk was a historically black university, and Minnie was one of 100 other students who graduated with a teaching degree in 1888. Minnie got married the following year to a man named Wellington Cox, also a teacher who had left his career for a job with United Railway Postal Service. This upward move allowed him to buy 160 acres of land and move within local political circles. It also helped Minnie find a career of her own. In 1891, President Benjamin Harrison, in need of a postmaster for Indianola, Mississippi, appointed Minnie Cox to the position. She held on to a role until 1892, when Democratic President Grover Cleveland was elected. But she returned five years later under Republican William McKinley, and subsequently under President Theodore Roosevelt as well. Minnie was good at her job, but some people didn't think so. Several white citizens of Indianola circulated a petition in an effort to force Minnie to resign and leave her $1,100 a year job, serving roughly 3,000 patrons in the area. But Minnie hadn't done anything to deserve their ire. She was a dedicated employee. She worked far longer than she was paid to each day, and she even covered late rents for post office boxes out of her own pockets. Minnie also made sure that her customers had as many conveniences as they could, such as a direct telephone line to the post office. She paid for it herself so that her patrons could call ahead to see if any new mail had arrived. Minnie cared about her position and her community. She wasn't being forced to resign because she was bad at her job. She was being forced to resign because she was black. Much of Indianola's white population wanted all people of color removed from government leadership positions, and that included Minnie Cox. Pretty soon, a white supremacist named James K. Vardaman began speaking out against Mrs. Cox as well. He didn't just want her out. He wanted her job and salary for himself. Eventually, the anger and prejudice within the town got to be too much. White mobs began attacking Black-owned businesses, and fearing for her safety, Minnie soon tendered her resignation. It hit President Roosevelt's desk on December 5th of 1902. But it turns out Teddy wasn't too pleased with what had gone down in Indianola, and he refused to accept Minnie's resignation. 
Instead, he gave Attorney General Philander Chase Knox the order to prosecute any individual who had threatened her life. Oh, and he shut down the post office until she was allowed to return to her position safely. All Indianola mail was rerouted 30 miles away, and Roosevelt continued to pay her salary while the office was closed. Sadly, Minnie and her family left town for some time. She had been threatened with a broken neck if she ever stepped foot there again. But they did eventually return to the town they loved and opened the Delta Penny Savings Bank. It was one of the first African-American-owned banks to open in all of Mississippi. As for the post office, it reopened one year after Minnie moved away, this time under a white postmaster. But in 2008, Minnie got the recognition she so rightly deserved when the Indianola post office was renamed to the Minnie Cox Post Office building. And as for the bully that forced her to leave, James Vardaman, well, there was a building at the University of Mississippi that once bore his name, but it also underwent a change. In 2017, the university stripped Vardaman's name off the facility, calling the white supremacist distinctly unworthy of honor. And all I have to say for that is good riddance. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot Everyone has a different idea of how they want to be dealt with after they die. Many buy plots in a cemetery so they can be buried alongside lost loved ones. Others may opt to be cremated and have their ashes spread over somewhere that was meaningful to them while they were still alive. Joseph Marganot, though, went another route entirely. Born in Missouri in 1860, Joseph lived in Carondelet, a neighborhood in southeastern St. Louis. His parents were landowners and eventually sold some of their property to the city, which then became part of Carondelet Park. Joseph was a devout Catholic, though not so much in practice. 
Sure, he attended mass at the local church, but according to his descendants, he wasn't the nicest guy in town. When kids would accidentally hit their baseballs into his yard, for example, he would take them inside his home, leaving the children scrambling for a new ball to play with, and hopefully sending them with a warning to not play near his house again. But Joseph was a complex man. He was religious. He just didn't care much for the children who lived in the neighborhood. And he was fascinated by Egyptian archaeology. In 1922, Egyptologist Howard Carter led a team of explorers into the Valley of the Kings. This was an area that was surrounded by sedimentary rock and had been carved out thousands of years ago as a burial site for the pharaohs. And one of those pharaohs happened to be Tutankhamun, also known as King Tut, who died around 3,300 years ago. Joseph Marganot had cut out and kept several newspaper clippings about the discovery of King Tut's tomb. And he must have studied the articles extensively. Perhaps he even did some research on his own on how the pharaoh had been preserved because his surviving family members were given explicit instructions on how to handle his body after his death. Joseph passed away from cancer in 1924, and his will was quite clear. According to the December 30th issue of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that year, the will, it said, after directing that the internal organs be removed from the body to facilitate the mummifying process, ordered that the body be placed in a vault in Mount Olive Cemetery, there to be on view indefinitely through glass of the hermetically sealed casket. Joseph had thought of everything. He didn't just want to be mummified like Tutankhamun. He wanted everyone to see the fruits of his labor and the evidence of his obsession. Once his organs had been removed, Joseph's body was then injected daily with a preservative liquid while his skin was specially treated to prevent it from drying out. His mummified corpse was then toured around Carondelet in the weeks following his death. His body was exhibited at the funeral home for three days before it was transported to his own house for additional services. Joseph was then carted off to Mass at his regular church, followed by a trip to his final resting place, the mausoleum at Mount Olive Cemetery. Now, the mausoleum is small. According to an article in The Telegraph, it's no bigger than a standard backyard shed. As you step inside, you'll notice two large shapes, one on each side. To the right is a sarcophagus, which holds the remains of Joseph's mother and father. And to the left is a brown coffin, elevated on some kind of platform and coated in dust. Once the latches on the outside of that coffin are popped and the lid is lifted, you're able to see what Joseph Marganot had planned all along. His body shows some wear and tear, but beneath the long pane of glass that's on top, he's still there, mostly intact. In one hand is a rosary. He looks as though he fell asleep mid-prayer. Despite being dead for the last 100 years, Joseph looks quite good for his age. There were also other stipulations in his will, such as to have his clothes swapped out every once in a while. And with his bank account still active today, his wishes should remain honored for some time to come. Joseph wasn't too well-liked by his community. He was a recluse and a tad eccentric. I mean, just look at him now. But one thing nobody realized about him, he was also something of a hoarder. His home was searched following his death, and all those baseballs that he'd stolen from neighborhood kids, they were all still there, in one big collection. And I'd call that curious. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. 
I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.